Today, John takes us back to the subject of false prophets. In chapter 2, he actually calls them um, antichrists. And I've got a lot of scriptures, so I'm putting it up on the screen. And good, that's not pictures in my sailboat, so that's good, that's good. Seems to be working, you know. Uh, now, in chapter 2, and this is just a very quick review, we're up in chapter 4 and verse 1, we'll get there shortly. In chapter 2, there are a number of things that John says about this subject, uh, false prophets slash antichrist. I'm combining them in the two, although the antichrist is a spirit in the world from the time that Jesus, well, even from the time of the fall, really, uh, it's the world, it's the world system, it's the anti-God world system, is this spirit of Antichrist. And he's going to apply that in chapter 4 to preachers, uh, prophets, if you will. Uh, and that's, that's what our subject is about. I don't have a synopsis for the whole message yet, but maybe I'll have one by the end, I don't know. Uh, the point is, uh, in John chapter 2, now I'm going back two chapters, uh, John writes, little children, it is the last hour, the last time in the Greek, last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last hour. Uh, so we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days. And, and the way, you know, there's a lot of interpretations of these words. But the way I interpret these last days is that we're living in that last period of time before Jesus returns. This is the last I'm afraid to say it, but I'm a dispensationalist. This is the last dispensation before the second coming. Now, these antichrists may show up as preachers or teachers or music directors or just ordinary friends. You don't know who they are, and they're not necessarily evil. They're really just never been saved. And if you've never been saved, you're operating in the spirit of the world. There's no way around it. People may come up to you with great intentions and great advice and great feeling for you, but at the same time, if they're drawing from the spirit of the world, their, their advice would be anti-God. While you, as a believer, have now been connected to a new power source, a new root, if you will, uh, quoting from John chapter 15, they have not. They're still operating out of the mindset, the power of the world system. It could even be your parent but it's more likely it would be a guy like me, you know. They are not all deliberately anti-God. I do think they mean well, but they unknowingly don't recognize that they're drawing from the wrong root. You don't need to hate these people. You just need to be able to recognize where is this coming from. So before you ask advice of someone, you want to make sure they're connected to the right root. They want to be in Christ, not without Christ. The second thing John says in chapter 2 is they can't stand Bible teaching. They went out from us, but they were not of us. But if they, Because if they'd been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. I got this list from somewhere years ago. Uh, and this is not an exclusive list. Uh, some of them are money changers. And their goal is to change the money in your pocket to their pocket. I mean, that's why they're in business. And sometimes they do a very good job of what they're doing. They make a good show of it. They've got great activities and good sermons, much better preachers than me. They're, they're, they're very active, and, and they seem like the real thing. And sometimes it's hard to discern. Some of them are doomsayers. It seems like when you get around a doomsdayer, it seems like every time you walk out of the sermon, you're depressed. Uh, it seems like uh, all they want to do is to rob you of your joy. 
But in the process of that, their goal is to control you. There are condemners who tell us that every problem we're now having is a result of God's anger on something we have done, and they know the cure for the problem. There are deep seers who claim to know that every aspect of God's will for our life, they claim to know everything God is doing in your life. They can see, they understand, they know. Be careful of people like that. There are the lawyers who will have us earning our own salvation. And when we do that, we'll do it by keeping their rules, of course. And in the process of doing that, they're advancing their own ambitions. You have to watch for them. We talk about love a lot in in the book of 1 John. And in the process of love, there are two kinds of love. There's love that advances my cause, and there's love that advances your cause. And if my love for you advances my cause, that's the world's love. And if my love for you advances your cause or your benefit, that's God's love. It's always other love. And finally, there's a cultist. I'll talk about it a little bit. The cultist seeks to build his own group by tying your salvation to his group in one way or another. Uh, Usually it's some form of obedience to him. Now, all of these guys, and it's not, I don't even remember where I got this list from. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it didn't come out of my head. Uh, I probably stole it from someone. But this is not a, a uh, this is not the whole list. There's probably hundreds of others ways that the world will find ways to get into your life and wreck it. Uh, the, the one thing that comes to mind as I think of this is music. Uh, the world's music it will really get into your mind. Uh, Anyhow, uh, next we have uh, we have this promise. John gives us this promise in chapter two that we have this unction from the Holy One. And you know all things I've not written to you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. The promise that the Holy Spirit will help you discern if you ask him to. And I, I know there's a saying we have that says, trust your gut. And that's probably a lot of wisdom in that as long as your gut is connected to the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, trust that your, your innermost feeling as long as that's in reliance on the Holy Spirit. Uh, John also tells us in chapter two that the core issue is Jesus. I'll talk about that a little bit in chapter four as well. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. It means the anointed one or the Messiah. He is the Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. The core issue, Jesus. Uh, Jesus asked this question, and I, I have the note later. Matthew 19, I think, what think ye of Christ? Uh, uh, learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abides in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Learn to walk in simple trust to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will help. Learn in the little things, not in the big things. Make your mistakes on small things, not on big things. And what is that? That's number five. I didn't number them on the PowerPoint, did I? No. Number six from chapter two, and this is the last one. Hold on to your trust in Jesus. Hold on to that. That relationship you had when you were first saved, you know it's easy to drift away from that. You, uh, you, you ask Christ into your heart. You get this whole flush of joy in the new birth. You have this whole change in the, your mental attitude. 
You're actually a new man in Christ. You're a new person, completely born again, all over again. Everything has changed. And, and in that first year or two as a brand new Christian, you're excited and fired up and you want to do the best you can. But it's easy as time goes on to drift into the mundane. It's easy to start thinking that you have to add something to his work. It's easy to forget that everything you have and everything you will ever be is due only to the Lord Jesus Christ. And John's admonition in verse 28 is to hold on to that relationship you had in the beginning. Stay in simple, I don't know if you're familiar with this word faith rest, but stay in a simple position that you're resting his, on his leadership in your life and you're counting on his power to see you through. Now that's what he taught in chapter 2. We've been over that. Now we get up to chapter 4, because it's the same thing, theme, I'm sorry, I'm tying them together. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, believe it, uh, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. And the word means to test. Uh, it's, it's a word that describes heating a metal to see that the impurities rise up out of it. It's a word that describes assaying silver. Uh, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Slight change from chapter 2, but the subject is similar. All right, It's a sad truth that you can't believe everyone that says they're a Christian. You know, you want to underline that phrase. It's a sad truth, but you can't believe everyone who says they're a Christian. You have to look at their lives. A prophet, you know, is someone who claims to speak for God. It could be a prophetic claim about what God is doing in your life right now. They could come along and say, oh, I know what God is doing. That's fine. I love to hear people say that. The problem is you don't hear many Christians say stuff like that. Most of the time, we're walking around in simple trust. We don't really know what's going on. So when someone comes up to you and says, oh, I know what God's doing in your life, the first thing that should pop up is a gigantic red flag. I'm not saying they're false. They could actually have a word of knowledge from God and may actually know what's going on. I would listen to them, but I would listen to them with one ear, right? just in case you know I have a chance to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying at the same time. A prophet may also say that he or she knows what God is going to do in the future. So the strict Old Testament definition of a prophet is one who foretells or foretells, speaks of the future or speaks of the present, but on behalf of God. That's the strict definition of a, pro of a prophet. And of course, I'm not a prophet, I'm a teacher, but there are thousands, perhaps millions of people like me that get up in places like this and set about to tell you what God means when he writes these words. You should be just as wary of me as the person that says to you, I know what God's doing. Everything that I say, you should check. Everything that you hear from me, not, not just the things that sound bad, wait for the things that sound good and check them. Make sure what I'm saying coincides with what you're learning in your study of the Bible. This is the point. Each of us will play this role of speaking for God from time to time. So there's a warning here as well to us who would be, quote unquote, prophets with a little p. Uh, there's a warning to us that we should be careful when we speak. 
because the Holy Spirit will, in fact, hold us accountable. We must as well be careful. We must exercise great caution when we stand and attempt to speak on behalf of God. I have a note here that in the Old Testament, if you made a prediction, if you foretold something, and your prediction didn't come true, the Old Testament Jews were ordered to stone you. And a prophet was not allowed in the Old Testament to make a prophecy that was past his lifetime. If a prophet was going to stand up and claim to be a prophet, he had, I want to say she, but I can't think of one, uh, he had the responsibility of making prophecies that would come true in his lifetime, as well as the prophecies that were long-term. And the purpose of those short-term prophecies was to verify that he, in fact, was a prophet of God. And the Jews were ordered, if he was not, then he was to be stoned. Now, there's a warning here in verse 1, and that is we're responsible to exercise great caution as we walk through this life because we're living in a world that is at war with God. And we have to be aware of that. And we are to test. Now, you test against the Scriptures. You take your Bible and see if everything that person says coincides with the Scriptures. I had a fellow tell me one time, he used to come to this church, and I asked him something about the Bible. And he said, oh, I don't need the Bible. And I said, oh, why not? He said, well, I am the Bible. I've heard some weird things in my life, but that's about the weirdest. Uh, You are the Bible? Yes, what I think is God's Word. Well, that's interesting. Warning, test people who say they're speaking for God. You know, we can't judge them by their flashy suit. I mean, this is really nice. J.C. Penny, you know, this is nice stuff. You can't judge them by their suit. You can't judge them by their seminary credentials. You can't judge them by their robes. Jesus himself warned us to beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Look at the inner man, not the outer man. You shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Look at their lives. Look at their lives. Look what's happening. Wherefore, he said, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, when you think of fruit, you think of spiritual fruit. When I think of spiritual fruit, my mind automatically goes to Galatians chapter 5. This is the King James Version. I'm also going to read you the New International Version. It's a little easier to understand, but this is a fascinating study. Uh, We did this as a church years ago. We went through this study word by word. I think I took three words in each sermon, and we went through the, the, the background of these words and what they meant. And when we got done, it really tells you more than just reading these sentences with words that we're not all that comfortable with. But the point is, if you're operating out of the root of the Holy Spirit, you will produce, your life will produce a certain character of fruit. And if you're operating, if your life is drawing on the energy from, if your source, the source of your energy is drawn through the world system, you will manifest, manifest other fruit. This is the point. You can look at your own life and tell which root you're drawing from. Now, the works of the flesh, that's drawing from the world system. That's the system of Antichrist. That's the anti-God government. That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
And to say it in one word, that's Satan. You're either rooted in Satan or you're rooted in Christ. Satanic system, if you will, not Satan individually. Uh, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do, and that word is a present tense continuous, we've talked a lot about them in this book, that means those that practice or go on or continually do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at your life. Look at my life. Look at their life. You have a question? Look at their lives. Now, you know, you look at those words and you think, holy cow, I've never met anybody that bad. You know, well, it's really not talking about somebody that manifests. I don't know how many are there, but all 10 or 12 of those. It's not that at all. You just look what the source is. Look for loss of control. Look for people that enjoy sin. Look for people that are angry at others or envy others. Strife is causing division. Heresies is false teaching. Go through this list. Let's do it in, in the New International Version. I think you might have a little better luck with that. I started to use the new, uh, what's it called? The New Living Translation. But I, I, I'm... I'm, I'm confident there's people that would take offense at anything that has to do with the living Bible. But the New International Version is pretty trustworthy. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I would prefer the sentences, the result of drawing on the flesh is obvious. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, that's that variance, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, you know, you, you don't really deal with a lot of, well, maybe you do, come to think of it. I was going to say, you don't really deal with a lot of adulterers in the church, but I can almost think of eight pastors right now that have been caught up in that, so maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm saying the wrong thing. This list manifests the root of the world. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. You know, you'll, you'll often run into someone in the church that's sowing seeds of dissension, factions, breaking up into groups, envy, people that are angry that they're not as wealthy as you are or as good-looking as you are or as strong, drunkenness, loss of control, orgies sexual impurity and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, those words are well worth your time and study. Uh, Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. Here's what you're looking for. The fruit of the Spirit. I don't know if you noticed that, and I didn't point it out, but in Galatians chapter 5 it said, the works of the flesh what you can do on your own, if you will, versus what you can do connected to Christ. What you can do on your own is that list of bad things. What you can do connected to Christ is this list. Now, this list is really the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what you're looking for. The life of the person you're examining should in some ways manifest. Now, they're not going to walk around raising people from the dead and healing people at the pool of Bethsaida like we saw in the movie Friday night. 
But they are, you are going to be able to see the humility, the faith, and the trust of the Lord Jesus Christ in all who are true Christians. You're going to be able to see that. Jesus said that, by their fruit you shall know them. But the fruit of the Spirit, you know, I told you years ago about me losing my temper at that lawnmower. Oh my gosh, that was 50 years ago. And uh, I took a cinder block and I was moving, going to seminary, and I didn't need that lawnmower anymore, so I took a cinder block and smashed it to smithereens, all the while telling that uh, lawnmower exactly what I thought of its years of non-service to me. And I, I told you again that uh, Joe, Joe Lorenzo, my neighbor, who had helped me a lot on my house project, I looked up, he was standing there, and he said, wow, I didn't know Christians did that. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Wrong root, right? Wrong root. Uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, that doesn't include a cinder block, goodness and faith. And in Ephesians 5.9, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. This is what you're looking for, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. The life of the person you're examining should always manifest in some degree the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you this a couple of messages back. Close your eyes and ask yourself if you can see Christ doing these things. And if you can't, a red flag ought to pop up. Paul warns us as well. He said the Spirit speaks expressly in the later times. He's talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. In the latter times, that's now, right? In the last days. We're in the last days. Jesus said it'll get worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Pay attention to who you listen to. How do you judge them? With scriptures. You have to know your Bible. Let's know also, he said, again writing to Timothy in the next book, in the last days perilous times shall come, Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, they want everything for themselves, boasters, proud. This is another list that makes a great word-by-word -word study. If you've got a computer with a Bible program on it and you take it word-by-word, -word, it makes a fascinating study. Uh, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy. You know, I really, I really see my teenage generation in this list. And I really see the result of my generation's rebellion manifested in our world today. And we who are or were teenagers in the 60s hold a lot of blame for what's going on today. Uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, that lacking self-control. Fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And you think, oh, these are the most horrible lost people in the world. And then you read the next phrase. Paul writes, having a form, the word is morphe in the Greek, the outward appearance of godliness. These are people pretending to be Christians. These are not just some horrible saintness out patrolling the streets with weird clothes on. These are people in church dressed up as Christians, having a form of godliness, but denying the exousia, the authority of God, denying the power, the authority thereof from such turn away. Wow, what a prophecy.
So how do you defend yourself? Second Timothy again, chapter three and verse thirteen. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You know what he's saying? Keep your eye on the way I lived. Look at me. And that from a child that you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed is the literal translation of the Greek. All Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Your questions are answered in the Bible. That's where you go. That is the point. I think it was Chuck Missler I first heard say it, that every error, every heresy, every lie you will run into is exposed in the Scriptures. Make it a habit to read your Bibles and make it a habit to pray before you do. And if you have a particular problem, Present that particular question to the Holy Spirit as you read your scriptures, and you will be amazed how the Holy Spirit will guide you. You know, I, uh, I'm listening to a, a preacher Sunday afternoons when I go home, and he's a uh, preterist. I almost forgot the word. He believes, well, I don't know what he believes. He, all the prophecies have been fulfilled. I'm a dispensationalist. We're like opposite ends of the spectrum. But I, I was thinking about how he could believe that we're already in the uh, third set of seven judgments in, in Revelation already. And I, I remember Jesus' words to the disciples when he said, and then shall the end come. You know, it's not happening now, it's then shall the end come. And I thought, well, that's right. Every doubt, question, confusion that you have can be answered in scriptures and if you're not finding it find someone who knows the bible and ask them that's the point now the final what's my time there good i'm doing good the final test the true test i, I have in my notes the acid test the reason you say the acid test is because that's how they assay metals the acid test is what thinking of christ that's the real issue john writes about that uh, in back in our chapter four Here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, most historical theologians will tell you that that phrase was written clearly against the teaching of the Gnostics who taught that Jesus Christ manifested as a human but wasn't fully human. And, and they really work themselves around to that position because they believe that the sin that the flesh is inherently evil and lost which is true and therefore Jesus couldn't have couldn't have uh, taken on human flesh well based on their logic that's true but they're leaving out the fact of the virgin birth where the the sin of Adam was not passed on to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he could be a sinless substitute because of that. That's why the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and she became pregnant by the, by the Holy Spirit. That's the importance of the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, you've got a human, uh, just a plain old fallen ordinary man. And if Jesus is just a plain old fallen 
uh, ordinary man, then when he went to that cross, he had to die for his own sins, not for ours. That's the point. See, this is the point. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. Now that's ancient Gnosticism. All right. And this is that spirit of Antichrist where ye have heard that it should come. Heard two chapters back. And even now already is in the world. Now I have four bad examples for you. Uh, how does that show up? I was worried about that type side. Oh, that's pretty good. Unless your, your vision is worse than 2060, you can probably read that, right? Yeah. Yeah, Joseph Smith, you know, he's a uh, <clears throat> founder, father of Mormonism. Uh, i got to turn the page here, so. No, I don't. I'm at the bottom of the page. He taught that Jesus Christ is an elevated man. He, he actually, it wasn't him as the guy that followed him, and his, his name's actually going out of my mind right now, but taught that <clears throat> as Christ is now an exalted man, we shall be, and as we are, Christ was. I think that's the way he said the sentence. The point being that Jesus started off as a human, worked his way up to a form of deity, you know. Joseph Smith teaches that Jesus was born physically. <clears throat> he teaches uh, well, Mormon doctrine. It's Joseph and, and the other. Yeah, Brigham Young. Huh? Brigham was well, that the number two? Brigham, Brigham Young was the one that, that introduced the idea that... that uh, Jesus was a son, physical son, of the Father, who they called Yahweh, who we call Jesus. Anyway, the Father and Eve had a baby. Actually, they had a bunch of babies, and two of them were, one of them was Jesus, and another one of them was Satan. Uh, they teach that he earned his exalted status by offering himself as a sin substitute. God the Father, <clears throat> they say, was trying to figure out what to do with the problem of sin in the world. Uh, Satan had one idea. Jesus had another. Jesus' idea was that he'd offer himself as a sin sacrifice. God the Father liked that plan, and that's how Jesus ended up being second in command. They teach that his brother is Satan. You know, I, I, I talk often with a Mormon, and, well, less, less lately. He doesn't like my attitude but i have talked over the years often with a friend of mine who is a mormon and he'll go well we believe exactly what you do you know your jesus and our jesus are the same I go, well not exactly not exactly my jesus created satan your jesus brother is satan and he goes well there are some differences yeah yeah there are some differences there are through the mormon uh, church the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, were saved by baptism in their, in their temple, in their water, and following the teaching of their elders. Uh, many of you probably haven't heard of Charles Russell. Uh, in the beginning, they were called Russellites, but now they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, and again, they teach that Christ is a lesser God. He began as an angel and has now exalted himself up to where he's an exalted angel. He's like the Father, but he's not the same as the Father. He's less than the Father. We earn our salvation with them if we go out and tell others about Jehovah. And you have to use the right name. You have to use the name Jehovah. Even though, you know, 4,000 years of Jews haven't figured out how to pronounce that word because they would never say it. They never said it for so long they can't pronounce it themselves. These Jehovah's Witnesses think that Jehovah is the proper Hebrew pronunciation of the Hebrew letters J-H-W-H. And uh, they go out and they, they say, if you don't teach people the name of Jehovah, if you don't witness in the name of Jehovah, you won't be saved and you have to follow his law. So there's another lady, uh, Mary Baker Eddy, 
And that's the founder of Christian Science. And she she's in that Gnostic tradition where Jesus Christ was a spiritual manifestation, not a physical reality. And what she teaches that salvation is found is when we learn to think correctly. That's ancient Gnosticism, clear as a bell. And she'll teach you how to think correctly. And of course, I added Sung Mong Moon only because he claimed that he was the second Adam, not the first. You know, Jesus is said to be... Maybe I should say it another way. Jesus is said to be the second Adam. Sung Mung Moon thought he was the third. Maybe I have that written incorrectly. Anyway, he taught that Jesus' purpose when he came was to come and marry the perfect Eve and start a whole new race of, of Christians. And his efforts were thwarted by the Romans who killed him too soon. And he believed that he was the second Christ, the third Adam. And that's why, I don't know if you've ever read anything about what we call the Moonies. That's a derogatory term to them. Uh, the Moonies, uh, Unification Church, they have a name that they have a name that's like eight words long. Uh, but basically, the Unification Church, they, they do a lot with marriage. And the reason they do a lot with marriage is salvation is tied up in achieving when we accomplish this perfect marriage, which, of course, he performs uh, that's how we're saved now what I wanted you to see with those four examples and honestly you, you could go on at this for hours I couldn't I'd have to do a lot more research but you it's possible to spend years studying this stuff uh, if you're interested in this get Walter Martin's book Kingdom of the Cults it'll take you through a, a nightmare that never ends it just goes on and on and that's all. Now you notice in every one of these, it's something to do about Jesus. And this is, what John, this is what John is saying. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. The acid test is what think ye of Christ. Now, this is, this is a little going back about 20 years in a slide that we did years ago. And I just pulled that up, not that I'm going to teach on it, but that doesn't even begin to show you the number of denominations that are in the world today. And yeah, I, I started to lay it on its side, but then the tree would be growing horizontally. But yeah, it really, to read it, you have to lay on your side, lay down on a pew. Yeah. But uh, you can see, you know, the Baptists, the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, Pentecostals, Congregationalists, Independents, Evangelicals, Lutherans, Orthodox Greek, Orthodox Russian. Eastern and Western Church. You can see, you know, how we've divided ourselves up. And that's, in that one line, Baptist. When I started teaching here, uh, the Baptists had 120 denominations. And when I went to redo this, I, I, think, I think I did it in the church 20 years later. The Baptists now have over 200 denominations, you know, uh, and you begin to think, whoa, this tree is getting absolutely out of control. And Jesus, I, I love the little thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. He said, uh, it, it, it will grow greater than all the other herbs, become a tree, so that the birds of the air will come and lodge in its branches. And it's true, when you look at this tree that is uh, a depiction of the church, there are a lot of weird birds lodged in the branches. And you can expect to run into that. The more this thing divides down, the birds in the Bible are often a negative connotation. And it's true. There's a lot of weird birds, you know. Uh, 
when you hear someone say he's an odd duck, that's one of the birds. All right? so I just wanted to remind you of that. You know. Uh, now the point that I want to make is fairly simple, except for Judaism at the bottom. Uh, every born again Christian believes these. I say three. There's really six listed there, and that's not everything. But every born again believer believes these things. So. Wherever you are on that tree, if you're a saved Methodist or a Lutheran or even a Catholic or a Pentecostal, you know, we disagree with the Pentecostals about the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Some Baptists reject the fact that the Holy, they don't believe the Holy Spirit is given any gifts at all. Other Baptists accept the full charismatic experience. Well, I guess out of 200, some 50 denominations, you'll find all kinds of birds out there, right? But uh, the point is, if you're going to run into a believer, all right, I don't even care if he's a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. If you run into a believer, whatever his denomination or cult name is, that believer understands these three things. That Jesus Christ is God. God taking on human form. If Jesus is not God, His death could not benefit us. And if Jesus is not fully man, He wouldn't have been able to die for us. That's the theological argument. You know, when theologians tried to nail it down, who is this man, Jesus Christ? They came to the conclusion that the description should be fully God and fully man. And of course, that's fully incomprehensible. And I guess it should be because it's God. And I don't suspect we should really understand him completely, but we do believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And if you don't believe me or the theologians, Thomas asked him, he said, Lord, if you just show us the Father, we'd get it. And he said to him, have I been with you such a long time, Thomas, that you don't understand yet? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, we wouldn't say it that way nowadays. We'd say, you're looking at him. You want to see the Father? You're looking at him. You're looking at him, Thomas. The second thing they believe is that Jesus took our sins upon himself and died in our place. There's no true born-again Christian that believes they're earning their way to salvation. You just don't do it. You can't do it. You're not a Christian if you're earning your way to heaven. Can't do it. We believe in substitutionary atonement. We believe in credit. Credit cards. Jesus is our credit card with God. We believe in charging our sin to His account and charging His righteousness to us. For He had made Him to be sin for us, Paul writes, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. John, in John chapter 2, writes, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And even that, it doesn't mean the whole world. It's the halos cosmos, the whole creation. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole creation. The whole creation is dependent upon the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ to find restoration. Which is what is he going to do when he returns? He's going to restore the universe to its proper order. And the third thing they believe is that Jesus rose from the, rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God. I, I've met preachers who don't believe he's coming back. I question their salvation. 
But if that preacher believes that Jesus Christ is God and died for him, I think he's just confused. But if he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, and if he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ died for his sins and his sins alone, then that person's not saved. That's the argument I always have with my Mormon friend. I said, yeah, I don't care about all this church stuff. Drives them crazy when you say that. Absolutely crazy because their whole salvation is tied up in their church. I don't care about all this church and temple stuff. What I care about is, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? And he would say, absolutely. Of course, that leaves me with nothing more to say, but it's interesting that he would say that. This is what Christians believe. If you don't believe that, you're not saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said in himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life into the age, literally. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 15, as he describes the gospel, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the one I preached to you, the one you received, and the one you now stand in. See, this is the gospel. And this is how you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received. I was saved the same way. How that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. This is what you have to believe. This is what John is saying. This is how you judge it. Preachers like me can get sidetracked on all types of messages, but this is the message. This is it. This is what you share with your friends. My daughter asked me last night if I would write a 250-word gospel invitation to put in the back of her book. I'm not sure I'm up for it, but that's the message. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try to do something in 250 words or less. Yeah. This is the message. This is what you share with your neighbors. John closes out this passage, and this is where we're stopping today. Oh, that last 10 minutes went fast for me, probably not for you. The year of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Have you ever talked to someone that just couldn't listen? Just seem to have been incapable of hearing what you're saying. There's a reason for that. The reason for that is they're not of God. Father, thank you for this time together, and I thank you for the patience of this audience to put up with me. I thank you, Lord, for these words that you've given us down through the centuries to give us not only assurance of our salvation, but a way to discern the truth of others. Protect us. Lord, we live in days that are incredibly dangerous. We live in days that are filled with lies, we live in a day where if you speak the truth, you are called a criminal. Give us courage, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.